Monday the 15th of February 2021 and this is episode 4 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast from Big Heads Media. This week we talk Kabak, Alisson and Thiago after Liverpool's Leicester collapse before an in-depth expert view on our Champions League opponents RB Leipzig. Over to Dan. guest this week is Chris Williams, a UEFA accredited journalist and, topically, a Bundesliga expert. So we're going to pick up with Chris to begin with um, for our three-word review um, based on the Leicester performance on the weekend. So first and foremost, Chris, thanks for joining us. How are you no, doing? Thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> and yeah, if we give your three-word review on Leicester, please. Oh, wow. Well, I was thinking about this. Um, I'm going to put utterly diabolical collapse. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's difficult to argue um, with those three, to be honest with you. Um, just more generally, what what you put that down to? Like, you know, you're spot on with what you say, but what would you put? It was it was ten minutes, wasn't it? Really, of madness, if you like. Um, how would you surmise what you saw on the weekend? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because Liverpool have been, I mean, so dominant the past two seasons, really, and. You never expect anything like this to happen. I, I can only say that with the injuries that they've had, and I know a lot of people say, oh, but all teams have injuries, but they've had key injuries in certain areas, which means they've had to pull key players out of other areas to backfill. And the squad looks disjointed. Um, Liverpool are obviously in a poor run of form confidence-wise. And I think that game against Leicester was just... It, you can show this to people in the future. Of, uh, it's a brilliant case study. What happens to a football club when it loses key players and it loses its confidence? Just show them that ten minutes, and and that's you know that that will be the case forward going going forward. I don't think, I don't think it's that bad a problem really. You know, I don't think Klopp's lost a dressing room. I don't think Liverpool are, are going to be fighting for relegation. I don't think they're never going to win a trophy again. I just think it's been a really poor season for Liverpool for many aspects, and it all came together in that one match I mean, it's been threatening since since liverpool played crystal palace and then the games after that they they've looked pretty poor throughout bar the west ham game so it's it, you know they were battered by manchester city and in a short space of time similar you know problem mistakes etc um yeah just a real bad day in the office I, I would expect though that this should be a line in the sand um and i don't think it can get any lower than that it should be time for liverpool to build back up now and and hopefully, you know, this season is so strange. Manchester City were out the title four or five weeks ago. They've gone on a tremendous run of games. They're sitting on the top. Tottenham are going to win the league. Then it was Leicester. Then it was Manchester United. And, and, you know, those teams have fallen off the wayside as well. So I wouldn't rule anything out. Um, if Liverpool do win the league, it'll be the strangest season ever. And it's pretty much there already. Yeah, it's... Um... The, the the last point you make in terms of the number of different teams we've had who've reportedly ran away with the league already this season, mental. Um, and also the, the, in terms of the case study for what happens when teams both lose confidence and players is a really, really salient point as well. Um, what about you, Dave, your three-word review for what we've seen? Well, Chris has obviously set quite a, a brutal bar, I think, with his. Um, <laughs> I've gone with uh, went to pieces. Um, so almost along similar lines. And after the game, um, I know social media was awash with complaints over refereeing. And I think I've seen 
about a hundred screenshots of Firmino and Daniel Lamarty on my uh, on my Twitter feed, but I, I wasn't convinced about that sort of excuse, if you like. The way Liverpool totally collapsed was was pretty alarming in that game, and you know let's not forget seventy eight minutes that had the makings of a very strong performance really, but it ended up just being pretty embarrassing, and obviously the collision between Allison and Kabak was the was sort of the pinnacle of that embarrassment. Um, and the truth is, the team looks extremely fragile at the moment. Um, and I think Chris makes a good point about how it's almost similar to the City game where uh, a very close game all of a sudden swings the opposition's way um, in the, you know, in a very short space of time because of how Liverpool just unravel. And it's, it is pretty difficult to watch. So, yeah, that's what I had. Again, yeah, that, that's fair enough. And another point that hadn't really drawn a comparison between that and Man City in terms of, you know, obviously we go ahead against Leicester and we draw level against City and we look in the game and then within five, ten minutes, we're miles out of the game. It's a really quite alarming trend, if you like. I know it's only happened twice and I'm quite optimistic in like how Chris is really in terms of I don't read too much into it given what's gone on around it. But, you know, if you look at the last two weeks, it's hard not to be not to be fearful of what we've seen, really. Um, but my three-word review for Saturday was um, just lost for words because I was, really, um, after the last 10 minutes, I was just almost in shock because I thought it was a decent performance up until that point. Um, and the, the VAR debacle and obviously them equalising at the end of it just seemed to rockers completely which is so unlike what we've seen over the past couple of years it was it was strange to watch and obviously you see the Klopp stuff afterwards where he's quite visibly you know upset probably not the right word but you know disappointed by it if you like it was um yeah it was a, it was a tough afternoon on Saturday after that but um yeah we'll move on anyway because I think the Leicester post-mortem has been done quite often um and obviously, we've got Chris on, Bundesliga expert, um, which is very topical. But before we go into the Leipzig stuff, we wanted to get your um, opinions on some other related matters, and notably Kabak's debut in particular, and obviously how you thought he got on on Saturday. But more generally, from my point of view, just what we have as a player in terms of Kabak. Yes, yeah, so I think it's a real difficult one for us on Kabak because... <laughs> He's um, he's only 20 years old, so he's a young player. He's come from um, a really poor Schalke side, one of the worst Bundesliga sides we've seen in the last couple of seasons. Um, and normally, he would go into a side like Liverpool. He's very capable of doing that, but he would be given six, seven, eight weeks to get up to speed. You would expect that he wouldn't be starting. He would be maybe drip-feeding 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. But Liverpool don't have this luxury, which is why they've gone for that option to buy in case it doesn't work out. Um, but he is a he is an all-round good defender. Um, his positioning is normally spot on. I know he had that issue with Alisson, but I think that's a breakdown in communication between the pair of them, unfamiliar. Um, I just think everything that could go wrong for him went wrong for him in, in that game once that collision had happened. I hope it doesn't affect his confidence because when he first arrived at um, Schalke, he was, you know, quite good. I mean, he still is quite good, but the, the team were performing to a better standard under David Wagner, and then they went on a terrible run of form, which saw him get sacked very early on this season. Um, but prior to that, Stuttgart, 
Um, very, very good, very capable centre back. Lots of promise. Um, exceptionally well thought of in Turkey. Um, you know, as, as all the Turkish fans and Turkish media love their um, their own players, and he's looked upon with with great eyes. And he's definitely got the capability and the ability to become a top class defender. I don't know if he can be the best in the world. Any time will tell. Um, wherever he is on that, but he's certainly got the the positioning ability. The only thing I would say is that. He's occasionally a little rash in a challenge, but he's youthful and that, that can be coached out. But on the whole, I don't know if you take out his you know, error, which was it his fault, was it Alisson's fault? It's probably still up for discussion. Um, I think he did all right. It would have been better for him if he could have had um, more of a, a bedding in period. But unfortunately, mm. you know, he's going to live or die by that in, in, this, in this season. Yeah, I think what we've seen in the past when Klopp signed players... You know, no matter who they are, really, they've had time. Like they've always been given time to to learn the way Liverpool play, if you like. But you know, given the circumstances, that's just not going to happen with um, with Kabak or Davis, really. If you know, if he gets fit again, obviously. Um, same sort of similar questions to you, Dave. Really, what did you make of Kabak, and is it a worry um, given what happened on Saturday? So I thought he was doing reasonably well um, on the whole. He had that moment in the first half where he stumbled and, and Vardy went on to hit the bar, but he was growing into the game, I thought, and there were some tidy pieces of defending from him in the second half. So it was probably on course for a very solid debut. Um, and then it all obviously fell apart late on and you can't really criticise a, a player too harshly given that it is not only his Liverpool debut, but his Premier League debut. And because Alisson was was probably mostly to blame, Um I know Jamie Carragher tweeted that it's always the goalkeeper's fault in that situation. Um, but my, my concern is that, that you know, that was probably the biggest game of his career to date. Um, so he, he's in a pretty vulnerable, emotional place, you know, I, I'd imagine. And I don't, want to, I don't want him to play with too heavy a weight on his shoulders now. Um, he's already under added pressure because he's, he's effectively on an extended trial for you know, basically a career-defining move in some ways. So it's important that he's given the support he needs in the dressing room to to put that incident behind him and not let it weigh too heavily. Because I did, I did think we saw we saw signs that we have a we have a, a competent defender really, and one that can be of, of value to the team. Yeah, definitely. I was um, quite optimistic, really. I know it all unravelled, but as it did for the whole team, really in the in the final moments. Um, the, the rash challenge point Chris made was interesting one, that's one thing I had been made aware of prior to him arriving, you know, even before we, we signed him with the links earlier on in the window. Um, but I didn't see much of that, obviously, on Saturday. Um, in terms of the biggest game of his career, that's an interesting point because I think I made the point on here before City that I probably would have played him because he's obviously come up against the likes of Dortmund and Munich on, on a few occasions, I imagine. And he's played quite a lot of, of top-flight football for someone who's just 20. Um, so he's probably more experienced than we give him credit for. I know it was Premier League debut and Liverpool's a massive club and certainly the biggest club he's played for. But for someone of, of such an age, he has played quite a lot of football. So there's stuff in to learn, obviously, but I am relatively optimistic that we've got a defender that's pretty much ready to go. I just think playing alongside Henderson, as good as Henderson has been, Henderson isn't a centre-half, so by default, Kabak's almost the experienced centre-back because he's 
played more times there, if that makes sense. Whereas realistically, he should be playing alongside, you know, in an ideal world, Van Dyke, etc. Um, but yeah, I was relatively pleased with what I've seen, to be honest with you. But the discussions about the incident that happened with Allison takes us on to Allison. Now, I just wanted to touch on this. Um, I'll go with you first, Dave, on this. Obviously, we've seen back-to-back errors, if you like, leading to goals. Is that a concern? And is there a is there an argument for potentially dropping him this week? I know it sounds crazy, but you know, you talk about the confidence of Kabak and how he, he is mentally. Is there a problem with Allison there? Well, I don't think dropping him is is, is a valid valid option, really. Um, you know, he's he's one of the the best goalkeepers in the world, and even on on Saturday, he, he managed to demonstrate that even even in the chaos with that save he made from the body chance. Um, but it, it is worrying because when he, he makes the mistakes against Man City, it's a case of mistakes happen. You know, Klopp's, I was in the press conference after the City game and Klopp was saying, everybody makes mistakes. You can't choose when you make them. Yeah, you know, he'll never make these kind of mistakes again. He'll forget about it, all that sort of thing. And then to go and make an error like that in the very next match, I think it shows, you know, the level of, of pressure he felt he was under, that he made that decision. And also the sort of embarrassing nature of the mistake magnifies it really, I think, especially how Vardy was able to just run the ball into the net. So it is it is definitely a concern for his confidence um, going forward. And yeah, he just needs... I do think he will only need one or two solid games. He doesn't necessarily need to even keep clean sheets, but he just needs to come through games at his usual standard. Um, and obviously it's important that he does that this week because we have two more you know, huge games in terms of our season as a whole. Yeah, I was, I was hoping the idea of dropping him would be shot down in flames. But just on that same same topic, really, Chris, what are your thoughts on what we've seen from Allison these past couple of games? Yeah, I think the the Manchester City game um, was probably. I'm going to be brutally honest. I, I don't think he was fit. Um, Guidon Keller wasn't um, available, and and I genuinely think that because of the problems Adrian's had in the past, that Klopp went for that game against Manchester City. I'd rather put 70% fit Allison in goal than 100% Adrian and. I genuinely think that's where his mistakes came from, that maybe he wasn't 100% confident because he wasn't 100% fit. And then he makes those couple of errors in that game against Manchester City. It's probably weighing on his mind. And and then he's had a rush of blood to head, proper Bruce Grobelar moment coming out of the game um, against Leicester. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no way I drop him. He's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, so, you know, I think everybody concerned with Liverpool can remember some of the magnificent uh, magnificent saves he made go all the way back to that one against Napoli in a Champions yeah. League which in essence won Liverpool the European Cup that year that one mm-hmm. save um, you know he's been tremendous and yeah the, for me there's no chance in dropping him I, I just genuinely think for that Man City game that he wasn't 100% and that probably speaks more about the backup in Adrian than it does in anything else yeah definitely I think had Keller been available I'd probably agree with you there and there might be a different conversation because I still think Keller is out this week. So there might be a different conversation then. But you're right, in terms of with Adrian as backup, you know, we all know Adrian did relatively well when he first came into the side. But what's transpired since when he's been dripped in and out just hasn't 
hasn't lived up to what we need at all. Um, so I'm, I'm on board with the Allison stuff. I think you've got to remember how good he has been as opposed to look at what's happened the past couple of weeks. Uh, it's interesting you say you know, Allison not being fixed. I've seen people say similar things about Fabinho this week um, in terms of because he obviously played against City and suddenly is out again for however long it's going to be. Um, having missed games beforehand. So I think he might have been, I'm reticent to say rushed back, but it, it looks that way. It's coming for one game. Obviously, we've been such a big game and then go missing again. Doesn't look great. Um, but anyway, moving on to, I'll get your, you on this, Chris, first, because obviously you haven't watched him probably a lot more than me and Dave previously. Um, Thiago. And the start he's made to his Liverpool career, I think, you know, just from my point of view, the expectancy was so high. But I think, you know, any sensible Liverpool fan will look at it and say, we signed Thiago thinking we were going to have this wonderful, fully fit squad around him. And obviously that hasn't transpired to be the case. Um, so, yeah, just how you think he's got on um, in the start of his time in Liverpool and uh, Mark out of 10 for his start. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, go back to that very first time he came in, played against Chelsea and came on um, for the second half. And I thought he was tremendous. But if you look around where he was, who we had around him uh, and what he was doing, um, you know, he had a proper defensive line around him, uh, behind him even. Um, and, and it was a pretty much a full-strength Liverpool that he came into. And I think we saw what Thiago offers um, when that happens. But after that, of course, I thought he was playing quite well against Everton. Then he gets his knee injury. And, and then he comes back in and he's asked to play central midfield role. He's asked to play defensive midfield role against Manchester United and against Burnley, which is probably his, his preferred areas. I think it's difficult for him because... He's coming into a side um, that's had a you know, number of problems throughout the whole of this season. Um, I think if Thiago's played in a 100% Liverpool side, he, he does make a difference. He, he makes that plan B that Liverpool didn't have. So opposition coaches, it was getting you know well known that just drop off from Liverpool's um, high wing backs, give them the ball and they'll struggle to break you down a bit. And that's why Thiago was brought in because he can pick a pass. And he did that for Bayern for many years. It's a very high level. Um, I would say don't judge him on this season and, and wait till Liverpool got a full strength side. Uh, I'm also unsure whether he's 100% happy in a 4-3-3 formation. I think he'd probably prefer to play in, in a different formation. You don't have that luxury as a player. You get told where to play by your boss. Um, but I think if Liverpool move to a 4-2-3-1, I think, and if they have the players fit available to move to that 4-2-3-1, and you know, go off a side on that. I think that's something that Klopp's been looking towards for a long time, signing a Minamino before that Shaqiri. Mm. It was his preferred formation at Borussia Dortmund for a while. Um, he flirted with it um, a couple of seasons ago and then went back to that middle three and then went on and won a Champions League and, and didn't really change it. So mm. I think if he was able to play in a little different setup with with more players who were in the right positions, I think he'd make a big difference. Um, I think he's getting a lot of unfair and unnecessary um, press um, from certain parts of the media who maybe don't understand what his game is um, because they either haven't seen him play um, for Spain or they haven't seen him play at Bayern or they might have only seen a couple of clips here and there but he is a quality player I, I just think he's maybe not adapted as well as he could and we won't know if that's down to his knee injury don't forget he, he, he came in and he got the Rona straight away as well which mm. probably wasn't very helpful for him I don't think he's got any leftover problems from that but um, 
yeah, it's just a horrible season. And I think he's failed to adapt a little bit. Um, mark out of 10, probably go seven and a half, but with more to come when it, when, when he can, when he's able to show that. Yeah, 100%. Um, it's been a strange one for him in so many ways because you're right, you know, then for a few games we've seen him, he lived up to the hype in many ways, especially Chelsea. If oh, we've got a real player here, and then he gets injured, obviously in the derby, and he comes back, and it's like everything around him just fell apart. And he was thinking, you know, he's not fit himself, and he's come into a side that has been decimated by injury by that point. Um, it's been really tough on him, uh, and the formation tweaks are interesting. Call. I wonder if we saw when Jota was fit, we played a bit more of a four with maybe Salah as the focal point and Firmino behind. That could be a shift, obviously, next season now um, that makes him have more of an influence, potentially. But, uh, yeah, so, Dave, the same same sort of question into you, really. Um, Thiago, so far? Well, first of all, I have to say, you know, I really enjoyed listening to, to Chris's answer there. I thought um, he made a lot of very good points, um, especially the idea about Thiago not being surrounded by... The personnel, or maybe even the shape that he needs to thrive. Um, Mark out of ten wise, it's it's in six or seven territory for me. Um, it was probably a seven before Saturday. Um, I think in possession, um, he's been really good on the whole. You know, not every any tries comes off, but that's the reality when you're not as ambitious as he is with the selection of your passes. And I think I wouldn't change that part of his game at all. And as you said, Dan, particularly in his early games, some of it, his play was outstanding. And and even in every game since then, there's a few moments where you know he he really uh, he really impresses you. But that's only one side of the game for a, a midfielder, obviously. And defensively, I don't think any of us would would claim that he's been up to scratch at this point. And I, I, that is costing us. Obviously, we saw that um, on Saturday, and I think there was a free kick against Southampton as well that he gave away. I think it's partly a mental thing. It seems to me sometimes he seems to react a, li- a little badly to, to coming off second best in, in a duel. And it's partly technical because he seems to make a lot of challenges from the wrong side. And obviously Chris knows more about this, but it's strange because I remember watching the, the Champions League tournament last year and he did have sort of an unusual tackle and technique in some ways, but it was very effective um, the way um, and he seems to break up play. Um, in quite an adept way so I have been sort of unpleasantly surprised by that Um, and it's frustrating because I remember vividly how excited I was by the signing um, in September Uh, but and I do disagree with a lot of the the media narratives I think the idea that Thiago doesn't fit Liverpool um, just totally misses the point because this isn't the signing that is the product of you know the, the scouting departments and um, having like a, a long-term vision for the player. This is more of an opportunistic signing because Thiago wanted the new challenge and because he's a world-class player. And he was, I think he was bought in because he doesn't fit in with the existing style that we had because he could help the team evolve and give us a different option. But at, at the moment, it's the rash tackles that I think are dictating the, the narrative around Thiago and the impression that, that people have. So that's frustrating. Um, at, at the moment, I'd say a, a harsh six. Um, overall, yeah, it, interesting one because I didn't really have him down as a like a ball winning centre midfield. That could be me being like misinformed or misguided by what I'd seen, if you like. But 
I had him down as, a, and he is in a lot of ways. You can see it. He's his cultural ball playing midfielder who looks to get teams on the front foot and beats the press and that sort of thing. But for whatever reason, and I'd kind of put it down to missing Fabinho and Henderson in midfield alongside him and him having to do a different role in terms of getting around the midfield and putting tackles in that he wouldn't normally in his natural game make. That certainly is how it looks to me because some of the tackles he has made have either been unnecessary or ill-timed or just poorly executed. So I'm not sure long run whether, you know, when he has got Henderson and Fabinho alongside him, he might be given that free role, if you like, to say, you go and you go and play. I could be wrong in that, like I say, because I haven't seen massive, not a Bundesliga football uh, aficionado, if you like. But yeah, I've been impressed on the whole because he adds that, extra equality that I think he was brought in for, like Chris touched upon in terms of the teams that will come to Anfield in particular and sit back and say, you're not going to break us down. You know, in normal circumstances, Thiago, I think, could be the X factor that makes us break them down. Um, and I think that's what he will be in the long run. And in so many ways, like it's, it's strange to say with so much football left to play and obviously we're on the horizon of the Champions League coming back, but I think we kind of have to reserve judgment on Thiago like we do Liverpool this season in a lot of ways until next year because so many things have gone against us that we've been into numerous times. I'm not going to go into it again, that it's really difficult to judge. Not only a new player to a new country in terms of him adapting, but a new player to a new country who's joined a side that have just been a shell of the former selves from last season. It's It's too difficult. Having said that, you know, in the business of judging him, um, I'd probably give him a six and a half, to be honest with you. Um, and yeah, that would probably be a fair assessment, but a scope for a hell of a lot more to come. So that brings us on to um, the pressing issue of on the horizon, obviously in neutral venue now. Um, and I think the Anfield leg might be getting moved to a neutral venue as well. And um, Chris might be able to tell us more on that. But... For now, I'm just going to ask you about um, Upamecano and Kunate. Obviously, the former uh, Upamecano clinched a move really this week to Bayern Munich. Um, and Liverpool have been linked with both. So just the general, obviously, on the move and whether Liverpool fans should be more excited about Kunate. Yeah, I mean, Upamecano is a, a great um, centre-back. And yeah, I think he would have been uh, a, an addition to any side. Um, obviously, he's agreed to deal with Bayern. Um, you know, current European League, um, European Champions League champions, and you know now they've won the World Championship as well, mm. FIFA's Club World Cup. So you can understand why you'd want to go there. Um, yeah, unfortunately for the rest of the Bundesliga, he had a release clause, and Bayern were able to meet that. So it's not like Leipzig have deliberately sold um, a player to one of their rivals. You know, you you pay that release clause, you get your man. It's as simple as that. Um, Aside to that, it's why a lot of Bundesliga clubs have moved away from release clauses. Um, mm. Dortmund are working hard to get rid of Hallands. Um, if you speak to uh, Mr. Vatsker, he'll tell you that it's not there already. So um, they do try and remove them because obviously you can't dictate who you sell to. You, you can write them into, you know, no release clause for Arsenal or no release for Bayern or whatever, but it's not really the done thing. So yeah, unfortunately, that's going to be not an option for anybody but Bayern, but yeah, Canate, um, another good, um, another good player, another good centre back. You know, twenty one, so he's getting into his early twenties, so he's got a lot more experience. Um, 
He can play left-sided or right-sided centre-back. Decent player. Um, You know, Leipzig have got a lot of really good players. He's got a great scouting network. So, um, yeah, I mean, he would be one for the future. Whether Nagelsmann allows two players to go in what is, in essence, the same window, I'm unconvinced because, you know, he's he's a top manager or he's a top head coach himself. Um, If he starts losing players left, right and centre, you might not buy into this Leipzig model going forward. And then, you know, there's going to be a raft of teams across Europe who want to snap him up. So I don't know if he'll go this summer. Um, I, I would say I, I very much doubt it, especially because he's got a release clause for the summer after reportedly, if you leave the German press, he'll go for 45 million the summer after. So um, I'm unsure whether he'd, he'd, he'd go this summer, to be brutally honest. And, you know, staying on Leipzig's defence, um, it's actually the best in the Bundesliga in terms of goals conceded. But is there a game Liverpool can look to as a blueprint for for how to beat Leipzig or how to exploit them? You know, I think I'm thinking as an example, maybe the the three one win Dortmund had in Leipzig uh, last month. Yeah, that was quite out of character for Dortmund at the minute because uh, I don't know, maybe they're maybe they're synced to Liverpool because mm. you know they're another team with a lot of quality throughout which is underperforming um, and is dropping down the table but yeah that game against Leipzig they looked really up for it obviously 1-3-1 and I think it could have been a bit more on reflection um, I just think they completely outplayed them German teams can suffer a bit from this lack of of playing midweek it's not really a done thing in fact they, they normally only have games a week it's got a, it's got a nickname English Fokker English week it's called because it's an English thing you know the Premier League teams play um, throughout the whole week. It's not really a done thing in Germany. So I think they've been struggling with all these games that have come thick and fast. But yeah, the Dortmund game, they were beaten by Borussia Mönchengladbach earlier in the season as well, 1-0. Um, and then they had a shock defeat to Mainz, who are you know, very much down the, the wrong end of the table. Um, they have dropped points occasionally through poor performances. Um, I mean, the Leipzig one, sorry, the one against Dortmund, um, yeah, they were... Dortmund were on it from the first minute, so Liverpool would have to do that, I think. Um, but it's such a strange competition, you know. Two, it looks like it's going to be two away games for for both legs now. Um, so that's going to bring its own set of unique challenges with away goals counting still. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, but I would say if Liverpool have done their analysis, which of course they will, they'll have probably looked at the game against Gladbach where Marco Rosa sort of nullified their ability to do a quick transition and then obviously look at the Dortmund game, which was, you know, high press, um, quick football, um, just like Liverpool, really. And if you go to, if you look at Manchester City, if you look at Dortmund and Bayern, they're teams that like to play on the front foot. So if you can stop them doing that and play them at their own game, they inadvertently don't like it and sometimes can't cope with it. So, um, yeah, Liverpool would have to give a a European performance of old... um, Maybe like they did against Porto that one time, or like mm. they did against um, Roma at Anfield. You know, it's going to have to be um, a high octane performance. And then whether Liverpool can pull that out of the bag at the minute is, you know, is, is another question. Yeah, I'd um, I'd agree with that. for a few weeks now with Liverpool's struggles that we could revert back to that Liverpool style of old in terms of just trying to blitz teams, and I think that could definitely be the case this week. Um, so just again on Leipzig. Um, obviously, they lost Timo Werner in the summer, and not to Liverpool, much to a lot of people's surprise. How has Nagelsmann adapted um, without him? And I know they're going well, relatively near the top of the league, but what's the changes in them? 
Yeah, the, the the biggest question that everybody had when Werner left was where Leipzig's goal is going to come from because he was pretty much the you know well he was the top scorer for them, but he was he was the standout scorer. It was if Timo Werner doesn't score, do Leipzig score? And they've sort of addressed that by um, players all around coming in with goals. So they're like um, Tyler Adams occasionally or um, Zabitzer, Willy Orban, the centre back's been getting goals and Forsberg. Um, yeah, there's there's players all over the field that can and get the goals for them. Um, I don't know if he's adapted too much by the by the loss. Um, you know, they still play with that. They they, they do go occasionally with a solitary striker, which has been Poulsen. Um, or they will go back to that three one four two where they'll play. You know, two players up front. Um, they've tried to bring in a couple of players. It has hasn't worked. I think they're probably suffering like everybody else coming into you know very strange season. Um, but yeah, how Nagelsmann's adapted, it's pretty much been a seamless adaptation without, um, Werner there. Um, you know, they're going, they're going well in the league, um, second place. Arguably they have dropped a couple of points. They should be a little bit closer to Bayern, but, um, yeah, just expect goals from anywhere at the moment. And when they're on the day, the top notch, Angelino has been tremendous, mm. obviously, um, played enough games now to trigger that option to buy, which they've taken up um, immediately. Um, the minute he came off the pitch, they um, they signed that deal because they could. Um, yeah, that, so I, I would say he's a danger. But yeah, they've got dangers everywhere, but they've got a couple of injuries themselves as well. So um, maybe not a good time to play them, but a better time to play them than if they were at 100%. And I think the Angelino point sort of sums it up really because... You know he's a, a attack, very attacking full back or wing back, and he's um, apparently their top scorer in the Bundesliga um, with four goals. Um, and even though they haven't necessarily scored a huge amount of goals, they they do, as you say, have enough sources of goals to still you know propel them high up the table. And I just wanted to pick up on some of the the players that you mentioned. So Leipzig have a group of very talented attacking players who aren't quite strikers, but can operate as wingers, number 10s, false nines, um, etc. So I'm thinking the likes of Nkunku, Sabitzer, Olmo and Forsberg. Which which of that group of players stands out for you and who do you think Liverpool should be most worried about this week? Oh, well, that's a great question. Um, probably all of them. Um, yeah, I mean, you know you said that Angelino is a top scorer with four, which doesn't sound good, but as I was saying... Leipzig have been able to get goals from everywhere. So they've got Angelino, Poulsen, Forsberg, Nkunku and Zabitzer all sitting on four goals each. Um, so um, that that can be a problem. Angelino, yeah, he's definitely the danger man. Four goals, four assists. Uh, sorry, six assists. Um, but, I mean, w- when they're on their day, Zabitzer can control that midfield. I don't know if you were able to see the game against, or the two legs against Tottenham last season. I was lucky enough to be mm. in. Um, Tottenham Stadium for that for that away game for Leipzig and I thought they controlled the play brilliantly um, that's something they can do um, Forsberg when he's on his game is top notch he, he won't be playing against um, Liverpool he's got a knee issue so that's him definitely out of that game um, so yeah the, the, there's quite a few but in that midfield area the likes of Zabitz uh, Tyler Adams as well um, Kevin Campbell and Angelino probably the main dangers but you know, you you mentioned Danny Olmo and Kunku as well, and um, Yusuf Paulson can get goals when he needs them. So, yeah, they're they're a they're a attacking threat to be honest. Um, and at the back as well, 
looks like they'll go, you know, probably a three at the back, but they're, they're three centre-backs they can rely on. So it's going to be very difficult for Liverpool to break them down. Yeah, it certainly sounds it. Um, obviously, you mentioned the Mainz defeat earlier. Since that, they've won every game, uh, including obviously this weekend. And they beat Leverkusen as well, which is always a decent result in the Bundesliga. Um, we touched upon Liverpool's mood in many ways in the first section of the show. So uh, how would you describe Leipzig's mood coming into this game? Um, yeah, I think um, I think I think they're. I don't know if they're happy because you know I think Liverpool are a team that you'd want to avoid in, in any time of the Champions League um, draws. But Leipzig have got them. I think they're looking forward to it, but they're well aware of it. They're having a press conference actually as 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 we record in this, and unsurprisingly, they've got Peter Galashi speaking, and yeah. you know he's the fact that Liverpool. Um, are dangerous on the counter and you know how, how they're gonna have to make the spaces small in order not let their Liverpool's players operate in um I think they're quietly confident that they can do it obviously turned around Manchester United they've, they've beaten Tottenham last season so they're not um they're not unfamiliar with playing English Premier League sides so it it's a strange one I think had they been playing at home um and got a good result at home in front of a crowd. I think they might have fancied their chances at Anfield, but I think everybody in, in the club is a little bit unsure of how it's going to work in Budapest and then yeah, wherever this next leg is as mm. well. So, um, so yeah, I think they're quietly confident. Um, Julian Nagelsmann spoke on, on the weekend as well, where he's not really reading into too much Liverpool's current form because these are, you know, in essence, just two one-off games and form tends to go out the window for, for a cup game. Just just one final question on on Leipzig before we move on to the uh, our preferred 11s and, and our predictions. Um, I just wanted to ask more generally about uh, Nagelsmann because um, obviously there was some Twitter chatter about uh, Klopp's future at the weekend. Um, his contract doesn't run out until 2024. Do we think that Nagelsmann is... One, you know, a realistic contender for the Liverpool job in the future, or is is it is the likelihood that by the time Klopp Klopp departs Liverpool, that Nagelsmann will already have had that step up to a truly elite team, and that Liverpool might have almost missed the boat on him? Yeah, I mean, he's um, he's heavily wanted. Um, I, I don't. I, I mean, he's been widely reported in Germany for a while that he was top of Chelsea's list, but he, he wasn't able to be pringed out of his contract and go, um, you know, for love and the money. Even if he wanted to go, I don't think he did want to go, but he was top of Chelsea's list. So he's already had big clubs sniffing around him. Um, he was offered a buying job um, or he was in talks with a buying job, but he didn't want it. I think he feels it's, you know, a step too soon. He's only in his 30s when he's still got potentially 25, 30 years left in the game. So I think he's very evident that he doesn't want to go somewhere too soon. Um, and you know maybe have to fight back. If he'd gone to Bayern and it turned out like what happened to Nico Kovac, he'd have a bit of a reputation to to get back around. But he's building himself a reputation. I think it all depends for Leipzig on on can he stay, will he stay, and and what's happening in the other clubs around. I don't know if he'd move to Dortmund now. Um, pretty much they've got Marco Rosa sorted out anyway. But he would be a good fit at Dortmund. Um, I think. In Germany, the only clubs that would be better, I suppose, would be Dortmund or, or Bayern. And you could argue that Dortmund are probably on a similar level, apart from their history with Leipzig. Um, 
I think if Bayern, if Hansi Flick was to leave Bayern and go to the German national side, I think Bayern would go all in for him. Um, but then I think if Liverpool are looking for a replacement for Jurgen Klopp, if he decides to go at the end of his tenure or if he decides to extend, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I think he's certainly one there that Liverpool could, could have a look at because he's so flexible. Um, he is a, a master tactician. He can rump some people up the wrong way. You think he's a bit arrogant. You know, I, I fell foul of him myself. I had a um, great argument with him once uh, um, uh, 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 when he was at Hoffenheim, actually. Um, and But he's just a young guy who wears his heart in his sleeve. So, um, but tactically, he's a master tactician. The, the good thing, uh, if you if you follow Leipzig, is it's quite nice because you never know what formation you're going to play because he can spring you know one of four formations out. He studies the opposition. He doesn't try and nullify the opposition. He studies the opposition and then decides what his best side and what his best formation would be in order to get the best out of his side, which is always, I think, a, a really good thing to watch. So, um, yeah, he'll be in high demand when any, when any top coach um, on from any elite side in Europe leaves their position. I think Julian Nagelsmann will be um, mentioned as a possible replacement early on. Yeah, he's so young, isn't he? Like he touched upon, like we think about managers and we kind of already plan their career, if you like, like what's going to happen after Klopp, etc., etc. And people mention Nagelsmann, but then you forget. I think he retired early, didn't he, from injury, from playing. So he's in absolutely no rush to do anything. Like, like a lot of managers would be a bit further down the line in their career, but you know he's got that that long ahead of him that there's no no panic whatsoever. Um, yeah, we'll go on to obviously a bit more about the actual game tomorrow then. Um, I'll start with my just general synopsis about how I think it's going to go and predicted lineup. Obviously, um, it, it's funny you mentioned Angelino a lot because although he's always been a massive plus for Leipzig this year, I actually see that as an area as Liverpool can exploit because Leipzig like to play this attacking side of football, and I always think that suits Liverpool sides under Klopp, um, and certainly when the left-back um, is so attack-minded, because Salah's arguably one of the few people you know, anywhere near top form for Liverpool at the minute. So I think they'll have to be more watchful than they are normally of Salah, because if Angelina goes bombing on, then that's going to give Salah decent opportunities to strike. I remember Angelino played for City against Liverpool when we won 3-1, and he was nowhere in the game, quite frankly. I mean, he's improved a lot by the looks of it since going over to Germany, but I do think that's an area we could potentially cash in. Um, as for predicted 11, I've gone Allison, unsurprisingly. Um, Trent, Kabak, Henderson, Andy Robertson, Thiago, Genie, and Curtis Jones. And I think it has to be the front three. A um, little bit, not, not forced and not hands tied, but given the injuries we've had and the fitness concerns around the squad, there's not much room for manoeuvre, really, with um, the Liverpool predicted 11s at the moment. Um, and I've gone for a 1-1 scoreline. Um, Liverpool getting quite an important inverted commas away goal because how, how away goals count when both games are neutral is beyond me. But, um, yeah, so that's that's mine. Um, I'll come to you next, Dave, on your thoughts and 11. Well... It's it's a difficult one because obviously, you know, if you look at this season, for example, Leipzig had the game at Old Trafford where they were absolutely battered by United and then they ended up knocking them out of the competition on on the last match day. Um so really I think they are you know, you don't really know necessarily what you're gonna get um 
from Leipzig in terms of the the level of performance and the level of quality. Um, yeah, in, in terms of my preferred lineup, I've literally gone for the the exact same team as you have done. I, I did I did toy with the idea of starting Phillips alongside Kabak to get Henderson back in the middle, but mm. I think at this stage Kabak will benefit more from having Henderson alongside them. It, it's definitely it's definitely a tricky call, but um, yeah, it's a, it's just not an ideal situation with. Fabinho's very untimely um, injury. Um, and yeah, I went for Jones ahead of Shaqiri or Oxlade-Chamberlain because even though I think he looked a little frustrated when he came off against Leicester, maybe he didn't think he had the best game, um, I do think that his defensive contribution has, has improved recently and that's going to be very important in this game. It's, it, and again, it is a real shame that that case is out um, because, um, you know, I think he would be pretty ideally suited to this kind of game prediction i'm actually i actually left left this blank in my notes um because i, I wanted to sort of hear what what chris had to say and make as as informed a prediction as possible so i've i've gone with two all because i think that i do think liverpool are going to be able to hurt leipzig but equally i don't have the confidence in us to be able to to keep them out and and deal with a lot of their very talented attackers so Obviously, 2-2 wouldn't necessarily be the worst result, um, especially when we can then welcome them to one of those famous European nights somewhere <laughs> somewhere. somewhere in Europe. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've gone, I've gone for 2 all. Yeah, I think I wanted to touch upon the Leipzig being quite well-versed in facing English opposition. I know I've earlier, but that could stand them in decent stead. Um, but also, like you say, they got absolutely destroyed by United at Old Trafford. So, it's an interesting balance. Um, and you touched upon obviously Henderson back into midfield. Oh, God, I'd love it, but it's just not possible. Same obviously with Fabinho for me. Obviously not fit, but were we fit? I'd love to get him back into midfield, but it's just not likely. Um, but yeah, Chris, exactly the same. How do you think the game will go? Predicted eleven and um, score prediction. Yeah, a bit of a nightmare this for me because obviously I'm you know a Bundesliga reporter. Normally would be in Germany, um, work for the DFL as well on on, mm-hmm. the, on the Bundesliga world feed. But I'm born and bred Liverpool fan from Mossley Hill, so <laughs> um, so so I'm, I'm always interested to see German teams go forward because it keeps me employed a little bit longer in the season. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I mean I can't argue with with that side to be honest. Um, the Liverpool one, um, you know. I think Henderson has to be um, left at um, centre-back, unfortunately. And I think Kabak will start you quite right. Um, it, it'll be, it won't be familiar surroundings for him, but he'll have a familiar feel for him. He'll be, mm. you know, he'll be able to see Leipzig in front of him. Um, shouldn't give him too many um, bad memories, I don't think. Um, but you would argue that that's probably Liverpool's strongest back four at the moment. Um, and then, yeah... In the midfield, I can't see anything apart from from the midfield three you've gone with there, Thiago, Wijnaldum, and Jones. I'd have Jones in because um, because I think he's an exciting attacking raw talent who, who can also defend, like you know you both said, um, and that's sometimes can be a little bit of a problem for German sides, which is why they like to hoover up all this um, English and British talent that's exciting and attacking. Um, and yeah, the front three, the front three, so. Yeah, it's going to be um, it's going to be a tough one for Liverpool. I mean, if Leipzig go full strength, um, which you know I'm sure they will, um, they'll be a daunting opposition. But 
what I have seen for Leipzig, not just this season, but the season before, is occasionally that they have an absolute stinker when they shouldn't do. And you know, you can think back to that game at Old Trafford for that. Um, but in the league as well, last season, particularly, they probably should have won the league, but had you know 12, um, 12 draws, I think it was off the top of my head. So um, they can drop points um, or they can drop performances when when not necessarily anticipated. So as a Liverpool fan, I hope it happens um, for the next 180 minutes. Yeah, what are them stinkers that do tomorrow? Um... Yeah, it would. And, and, you know, I think, unfortunately, we don't know where it's going to be, but it does look like Liverpool's Anfield game will be moved because if Leipzig come to England, then they can't get back into the country. They've got to isolate yeah. for 14 days, which means they then can't fulfil their Bundesliga games. So... I think Liverpool can say no, but at the end of the day, as you you know, you both will know, um, UEFA take over your stadium. So on an on a Champions League night, the stadium doesn't belong to Liverpool; mm. it belongs to UEFA. So they could just say, "We're moving our competition, and you're going to play it here," which is probably what they'll do at the end of the day. I think if Liverpool say yeah. no, I think given the way we're playing at Anfield, <laughs> it might not be yeah. necessarily the worst thing in the world. But obviously, had it been an Anfield full of sixty thousand people, it'd be a different story altogether. Um, but as it is, it's far from ideal, but it's the world we're living in, isn't it, unfortunately? Um, it's going to be interesting if one of these teams goes out on away goals, though, um, oh. when neither of them are playing at home. I think that's going to give you away for a real problem. I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure how they can even justify keeping away goals. I mean, I don't know how you get rid of it at the same time, but it's such a bizarre scenario. Um, but yeah, I think that's about all we've got time for this week. So any final words from you, Dave? Sorry, before we go. Well, I just want to say, just want to say thanks to to Chris for joining us. I think he's um, really enlightened us quite a bit on Leipzig and um, and the conflict, the conflict of interest he has um, <laughs> with the game. So, so yeah, uh, fingers crossed that the Champions League can give us a bit of a respite from the dreadful Premier League season. Yeah, I think we're all hoping for that. Mercifully, we're into Champions League action this week because the league has been an absolute. Disaster of late. Um, so yeah, just from you, Chris. I know you've, we've touched upon uh, the work you do and you know where your expertise lie. But is there anything you want to plug while you're on with us um, that you got coming up? Um, no, I've got actually got nothing to plug. So <laughs> I'd normally say yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. be. I, I would be at Leipzig. You know, you, normal and normally I'd be speaking to you from Germany. So um, mm. so no, just you know, if you are interested in a Bundesliga, there's a great highlight show available on Amazon. So just ask Alexa to play the Bundesliga and. You'll be unfortunate enough to hear my voice on a Sunday night. Well, that'll do for us. But yeah, massive thanks for coming on. Um, really appreciate it. We obviously massively enlightened me and Dave and everyone else on Leipzig and the Bundesliga more generally. Um, and yeah, let's hope one of them stinkers, like I said, from Leipzig and uh, Liverpool go marching on. Um, but yeah, that's literally all we've got time for this week. Um, we'll be back before the derby. Um, we'll be recording Friday and we'll try and get it out for you before the derby. So yeah, massive thanks to Chris Williams again. Um, and that's been me, Dan Club, and Dave Comerford. Cheers. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.